Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. G'day, bosses. Welcome to episode 56 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. Today, it's just Kate and I you're listening to, and we're going to have a little bit of a discussion. Yeah, it is almost weird to have just you and I back again um, because we've had a huge week. We've been recording with guests. Yeah. And it's been so fun. Been such a variety of people as well talking about different topics. But uh, somehow, somehow it is still a surprise and exciting to me. Um, Some of these people who are our wish list guests, just how lovely they are. Oh, yeah, they really are. I think I have always expected even maybe a touch of arrogance from people especially um, the two that I'm particularly not surprised about, but I think Jay Bear and Michael Port, they're such huge names in their industry. And I think I expected even just a touch of arrogance from them. And there was just nothing. They are just lovely human beings. And I think that's really nice to see because they always say, you know, don't meet your heroes. Don't talk to the people that you really admire. But I've not been disappointed by anyone. Also, spoiler alert, we have Michael Port coming up on our next guest episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There you go. There's the illusion shattered we don't record in order sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But it has just been so humbling and so fun. And when we originally started the podcast, people said to us, you'll have opportunities that you never would have expected. And we still didn't really believe that. Mm. But it really has turned out like that. Yeah. We've been able to talk to these people. We've had a reason to talk to people that we really admire and um, really love their work. I think what has um, stood out for me is you see these people in in their absolute best element when they're speaking and presenting and talking about stuff that they're passionate about. And you get them on the podcast and you realise that they're just human. And they too at times can battle with the same sort of emotions and feelings that the rest of us do, which leads us into today's topic. And we're going to talk about the psychological biases that might be holding your presentations back or getting in your way. Uh, These are things that come up quite a bit for us. People ask us about them. Uh, We talk about this in our workshops. So today we're going to cover the three biggest psychological phenomena or psychological biases that, uh, that can get in the way. And so we're going to talk about the curse of knowledge the illusion of transparency and imposter syndrome. Man, they are fancy sounding titles. Uh, (laughs) Maybe you've heard about them, maybe you haven't, but we're going to discuss those today. And most importantly, how you can start to overcome them and give your best presentation. All right, number one, shall we start with curse of knowledge? We should, because you said we'd start with that one. All right, curse of knowledge. (laughs) Radio. (laughs) So the curse of knowledge is when someone unknowingly assumes that others have the same background to understand their topic. So what that basically means is you lose the ability to understand what it's like to know nothing about your own topic. For example, someone who is a PhD in maths might find it very difficult to explain very basic maths to maybe a grade one or a grade two who's just learning maths because they're so far advanced and they don't understand anymore what it's like to not even have those basic underlying concepts about maths and numbers. And we even find not just with the basics, but with all the intermediary steps as well. So, you know, you might be a level 10 in your uh, understanding of your content and, um, you might have forgotten what each of those steps sort of look like and how to explain into each of those um, sort of knowledge brackets, if you will. 
Hmm. So this was studied in 1990 first officially at um, Stanford University. And there was a study done by a PhD student who was looking at how people's confidence in their communication differed from the reality of their communication. So in the study, they divided people into two groups. They had tappers and listeners. (laughs) Radio. (laughs) So they put them into pairs and in each pair was one tapper and one listener. Now the tappers, the tappers were told to pick a song. It had to be a very well-known song, such as like happy birthday. And they had to tap out the song on the table. And then the listener had to guess what song the tapper was tapping out. But before they actually did that, they asked the tappers, how often do you think your listener will be able to guess your song? And the tappers were pretty confident that they'd chosen super popular songs, really well-known songs. And they thought maybe my listeners are going to guess about half the time. They reckon about 50% of the time. But the reality was that the listeners identified the song about 2% of the time. So that's a huge difference. 50% expected, 2% reality. So obviously the people who were tapping had the whole song, the melody and all that in their head, but the people who were listening were just hearing individual taps. Yeah, absolutely. So the tapper, because they could hear it in their head, it caused them to miscalculate the comprehension of the listener. Mm, They couldn't comprehend what it was like to be missing that uh, extra music going on in their head above and beyond just the taps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to do it? I'll tap a song and I've got a song that I know that you know. (laughs) All right. Yeah, right. And you can play along at home. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. I'm just going to move my microphone and start tapping. Are you ready? Yep. Did you get it? Uh, short answer, no. Something by the Beatles, maybe. Not a clue. Not a clue, because it's just... You're just guessing. It's just, Yeah, it's just tapping. I'm trying to fill in gaps and not making... Okay. So it was Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. All right. <laughs> so so I It's no one from... that I know Taylor Swift, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely know this. Everyone knows Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. So <laughs> I've gone from the beginning bit from the I Say Out Too Late. That's where I'm going from. Ready? Do it again, see if you can hear it. All right, we're going to try and hear it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I can definitely hear it second time around because uh, you kind of know what to expect. You've got a bit of extra knowledge there to help plug in the gaps between all the tapping, right? It feels a bit obvious now, hey? Yeah, I like to me, I was like, oh, you'll 100% get this. Like I've chosen a song that's way too easy. Yeah, and now I can't unhear it. I'm sure mm. if I did it a third time, like you wouldn't be able to not hear Shake It Off. So that's all very fun. But what does this actually mean in the real world? So as an example, think back to when you've um, started a new job and the first couple of days, your colleagues sound like they're speaking another language. You know, they've got jargon that's, familiar to the office, the company, the industry. Yeah. And it just sounds like nonsense. But even after a couple of days, you're actually able to use those terms as though they've you know, been part of your vocabulary forever, basically. And as you become accustomed to that new lingo, 
it doesn't take you long to forget that other people don't know what that all means. So then when someone else new joins, you use that language as well. And you forget that to them, it's all gibberish. You forget that feeling that you had and you just keep talking with this, all this standard lingo. Yeah, because you end up sort of living and breathing this content, whether it's the language, whether it's the industry, whether it's the, the topic that you're an expert in, you sort of live and breathe it. Yeah, like you say, you, for, you simply forget how little others know. You forget what it was like to be there. And it is really easy to fall into a curse of knowledge. Like we do it sometimes. Like this is why it's a psychological bias, because our brain has just simply forgotten and it is impossible to know what it's like to be a beginner in something that you're now an expert in. Yeah. So let's take it a step further then to what does this mean for your presentations? And we see this over and over and over again. And that is presentations that have too much content because you expect and you assume that people can understand things at such a level more than they actually can. Yeah. And you assume that they can kind of keep up. Yeah. Yeah. But chances are it's kind of gibberish and all new and they're just trying to keep up with your, what you're saying. <laughs> just trying to tread water here. Yeah. 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 And it's probably probably the single most common issue we see with presentations is a curse of knowledge and too much content. Yeah, it's definitely the number one thing. So then what do you do about it? How do you actually overcome it? There's certainly a few things you can do, but the first and biggest thing you need to do is know your audience. Know the people that you're going to be speaking to, what level they're at, what depth of experience and understanding they have. Now, we've talked about this in it's the first step for any presentation preparation is to know your audience and find out where they are, right? Generally, this is going to mean that uh, if you're speaking to an audience who is not the same level of expertise that you are, you want to do some extra things like starting with simpler language and simpler concepts within that topic and building on that. Right. Mm. Sometimes, um, and not feeling like it's condescending if maybe it feels really basic and pedestrian to you. Cause many times if you know that audience and you know that they need that base level of, of knowledge and language, then that's where you've got to start. That's cool. Mm. And it's nearly impossible to have someone else's perspective. So, the only way that you can get someone else's perspective is to get someone else's perspective is to literally get someone, get some fresh eyes and ears on your content and ask them, what do you understand here? What are you not understanding? What am I not explaining well enough here for you? All right, let's have a quick chat about the illusion of transparency, which I think on the face, but the name of that doesn't mean a lot of sense, but The illusion of transparency is a tendency for people like you and I to overestimate the degree to which your personal mental state is perceived by others. You're going to have to take that down a level for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So really we tend to naturally assume that other people, that people around us can easily tell how we think and how we feel, which is because we know how we think and we feel And it can be difficult for us to remember that other people don't have a direct insight into our brain, into how we're feeling. So really, when it comes to presentations and speaking, we have this exaggerated sense of how obvious our nervousness, specifically our nervousness, is to the audience. And it kind of gets worse, unfortunately, because you have this perception where you walk out on stage, you feel a bit nervous and you, you start to think, oh, they can tell I'm nervous. They can definitely tell that maybe I'm, you know, feeling anxious or Mm. not super sure. 
and then you get stuck in your own head and you try to compensate a little bit which then you feel is even more obvious to your audience and we get caught in this cycle and the stress just induces a feedback loop because we have this tendency to think that people can basically read our mind. So in the workshops that we run, we get people to give presentations and then after that they rate themselves and we ask them, how did you feel? How nervous did you feel giving that on a scale of one to 10? And we invariably get somewhere between eight, nine, 10, like 10, totally falling to pieces, nervous, <laughs> barely got through it. On the verge of tears. Yeah. Which is not abnormal for yeah, presentations that's, that's everywhere. perfectly normal. Mm. And then we ask the audience, how nervous did they look? They said that they were eight, nine, 10 with how they felt. How nervous did they look? Always, always, always one or a two. Mm. Sometimes a zero. And the presenter will be like, what? I felt awful. I was like shaking and just like, nervous as anything and then the audience is just like no you look fine and both parties are usually really surprised and especially for the people who appear really confident the audience is kind of like wow even someone who looks really confident is not always necessarily as confident as they appear and it seems to be quite surprising on both sides every time really your audience just can't tell they like mm. they can't read your mind and yes when you're really nervous you cannot escape those feelings of nervousness the sweatiness the shaky hands the sick stomach your heart rate racing it is so present in your world you can't help but think that that's obvious to the audience and it's just not and and then if an audience sees that you're a little bit nervous then that's fine yeah we talk about a little bit of nervousness just proves that you care so really, this comes down to a case of we're our own worst enemy yep. <laughs> when it comes to judgment. So what can you do about it? The simplest thing you can do in order to reduce the impact of the illusion of transparency is to simply be aware of it. So just understand that at absolute worst, the audience will only be able to perceive a really small percentage of your nervousness, if at all, right? And understand that your feelings of passion and energy and enthusiasm will be far more obvious to your audience than any sort of nervousness. So being aware of that can help having some understanding that despite how you feel, your audience won't see it is probably the biggest step you can take. As far as some sort of physical actions that you can take, we always advocate having a pre-start routine before you start speaking and making sure that that involves a, a point of relaxation. So something as simple as making sure that you breathe out and relax your body before you start presenting to help curb some of that nervousness is going to help you to uh, be less self-conscious about your level of nervousness. And also don't feel a need to like explain yourself or apologize or tell the audience that you're nervous. Mm. Um, we, see, we see it sometimes. Somebody will say, oh, sorry, I'm just so nervous. And the audience is immediately confused. Like, are you? I couldn't tell. Are you okay? Do we need to stop this? Like it just adds confusion. Just sort of understand the audience can't see and get on with your presentation. Yeah. So the third one we're talking about today is imposter syndrome. Now, fun fact with this one, they used to believe that this was only experienced by women. Really? They did. Yeah. Until quite recently, like I want to say like the eighties or the nineties, like quite recently in terms of psychology. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but now they know that um, it is more common in women, but men absolutely do still suffer from it. So imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern where you doubt your accomplishments and you kind of have this fear of being exposed as a fraud. It's kind of like that idea that you don't fit in with this high status that you've earned. 
yeah, like you haven't earned your accomplishments and like you're just waiting for someone to come up to you one day and just be like, what are you doing talking about this? You don't know anything about this. I mean, I absolutely feel it sometimes with our podcast. I mean, I'm, I feel like sometimes I'm waiting for someone to write a review or come up to me and say, why do you have a podcast about presentation skills? What do you know about it? So imposter syndrome can really show up in a couple of different ways. There's a couple of different types of them. So let's go through a couple of them. To start, we've got the perfectionists. So these are the people who set really high expectations of themselves. And if they achieve, say, 99% of that, then they're going to feel like failures because they haven't got that extra 1%. So then that small mistake or maybe that small little failing is going to make them question their own competence. So that's your perfectionists. Um, then you've got your experts. So this is the trap that you can fall in where you think that you need to know everything before you start something. So maybe, maybe you want to start a business and you feel like you need to go and get another qualification before you can start teaching someone something. Maybe you need to have everything perfect first. And these are the people who are constantly looking for certifications or doing training to improve their skills and they never quite feel like they've gotten there because there's always something more that they could possibly do. Or know, or research, or, know. or understand, yeah. Yeah. There's this great theory, and again, it comes back to that men-women thing again, where women will look at a job criteria and there might be 10 criteria in the job profile and they'll look at it and go, well, I can only do nine of them, so I can't apply for this job because I only fulfil nine out of the 10 criteria. And then a man will look at the same job and be like, oh yeah, got two of them. I'll give that a crack. <laughs> well, welcome back to this episode, Stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> What's an episode of this podcast without some sort of broad brush stereotype? <laughs> but this is the sort of thing that makes you hesitant to speak up in a meeting or ask a question because you're afraid of feeling stupid or looking silly if you don't know the answer. This is the people who avoid speaking because they think, what if someone asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? What if I show by speaking that I don't know everything? That fear of opening your mouth and removing all doubt. Mm. The next one is the natural genius. So these are often people who have really had it quite easy in life. Some skills and talents may have come easy to them over their lives. Maybe they just had a knack for maths in school or something. <laughs> So then they kind of get used to skills coming easily. So then they think when they have to work hard at something, when they have to put in a lot of effort, their brain tells them you're an imposter. This should be coming naturally to you if, it, if you were actually good at it. When in reality, building skills through hard work is still building skills. Yeah, it's just that one thing telling them that they're not good at everything. Yeah. All right, next one, the soloists. So these are the people who feel like they have to do everything themselves the ones who find it difficult to delegate because if they don't do it themselves, they feel like a fraud. Like they may be getting credit for other people's work or that they that, can't do that work themselves. Mm, that idea that asking for help means that you failed at that aspect of the task. Yeah. And then the final one is the supers, the superman, the superwoman. And these are the ones that work so, so hard to prove that they're not imposters. And they feel the need to succeed in basically every area of their life. And we see this happen. People who try to be great parents 
and great employees and great speakers and great in the community and great in their relationships. They have to always be accomplishing something at every moment of the day. And wow, I've just identified myself. I am the person who sits down for five minutes to relax and thinks you're wasting time. You need to be doing something. You need to be achieving. Right. This is not a psychotherapist session, Kate. Let's uh... <laughs> We're talking about imposter syndrome on a podcast, remember? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> All right, so they're the tendencies that people can have when they feel like they're not good enough for something. So again, what can we do about it? The first, like all of these psychological phenomena, acknowledge it first. Acknowledge and understand what is happening. So let's bring this back to speaking. If you're afraid that you shouldn't be speaking about something because you're not good enough, maybe... For example, maybe you're a junior analyst and you've got to present to management or senior management or a board. Yeah, yep. People who you feel are so far above you in skills, experience, in status. understanding, status, all of these things. Mm. And you think, who am I to be speaking about this, to be presenting about this? When in reality, what you need is to be one level better. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're, say, a junior analyst, you're still the one who has done the work. You're the one who's maybe looked at some data and come up with some insights. Maybe you've identified a problem or you've found some sort of opportunity. You're the one that has that knowledge. And if you're presenting to, say, senior management, they don't yet have that knowledge. And you need to understand that in that aspect, you do have that little bit of extra knowledge that you can then pass on. And yes, maybe they do have more experience and skills in other areas. But in this one particular thing that you are speaking about, you have the advantage. You're the one who has that knowledge. And you do then have the right to be speaking on it. Um, I think I've heard you say, Kate, like you don't have to be the world's best at something to teach it, for example. Like if I remember back to, I'm sure if we all remember back to high school, you had a maths teacher. And I thought my maths teacher was basically a doctor of maths and numbers, right? But he wasn't. He was just... I don't know, university level or something, right? He was just better than, you know, the 15-year-olds that were sitting in his room. And that's all that's, all that's required, you know? If you're, um, if you're a PhD in mathematics, you'd be teaching at, I don't know, university or advising the United Nations. I don't know what PhD in maths do, <laughs> right? <laughs> you just have to be one level better, not all the levels better. Yeah, like if you're teaching grade four maths, you don't need to be a PhD in maths. You need to be at grade five maths. You just need to be that one level up to be able to pass on knowledge. You don't need to know absolutely everything. You just need to know a little bit more. So when you're speaking, I think the thing to ask yourself is, is there something here that I have a little bit more on, that I know a little bit more about, that I can pass on to my audience? Rather than try and compare everything about yourself to everything about them, just look at that one little piece that you're trying to pass on at a time. There is probably an endless list of cognitive biases and psychological phenomena that affects, affect us all, not just in speaking, but in everyday life, right? Um, but, these, <laughs> but these are the three that we see show up most often in presentations uh, and affect, affect people probably the most negatively. So we sort of said with most of these things, just being aware that they exist and that they can affect you is probably the first and biggest step into overcoming them and, and being able to give your best presentations. 
So we started with Curse of Knowledge, which is the inability to understand uh, what it's like to not know what you currently know about your topic. And this one is always the first and biggest one to pop up for us in our work with tech type people. Yeah. We talked about the illusion of transparency, which is basically this idea that you think people can read your mind and understand exactly how nervous or how anything you're feeling, when in reality, your audience can't tell how you feel. And the imposter syndrome, the idea that you feel like an imposter, like you don't fit in in this room of, of your peers or superiors. Yeah, I think that's the one that affects your confidence the most. So maybe you've recognized that one or more of these affect you. Uh, and like we said, awareness about it is often the biggest step to overcome. A couple of little tips in there for how to deal with these things, but hopefully uh, knowing a little bit about why you feel the way you feel and the reality of the situation beyond uh, those straight up sort of emotions and feelings will help you give your best presentation. Thank you very much for listening in to another discussion between Kate and I, and we will be in your ears again next week. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you have any other topics you'd like us to discuss, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week.